these guys survived the David Kahn era of Timberwolves basketball and live to tell about it. It's Flagrant Howls. Figured we'd hit you guys with just, just a quick little Flagrant Howls episode of Phil's Wolves takes here on this Monday morning. Wolves and Knicks tonight. Sixers. Wolves coming off that road trip. And man, Saturday night, they were down. They just looked like a road-weary team that was... They're on the fifth game of a five-game road trip. They've been traveling for a week and a half. You know, they had the emotional wins against Golden State and just felt like they were ready to go home. Down 15, 16 points in the fourth quarter. And boom, they flip a switch and make a comeback against the Pelicans to finish strong. And as of this morning, gentlemen, this Monday morning, the Minnesota Timberwolves are alone at the top oh, of the Western oh, Conference standing. Oh, the flag! Let's go! Upside down. <laughs> Much like the Wolves were before for so many years. Yes. This, is the, this is the first time <laughs> since the 2003-2004 season that the Wolves have been alone in first place of the Western Conference after the 10-game mark 20, 20 years ago. 20 years ago. And how, how are you processing this? Do you have a thought? Feeling about this. And? Well, I saw, how do you think I, saw, I feel? Judd, I feel very good about this. Let's see it. So our friend Kyle this morning, your your co-host on this show, he um he tweeted I'm drinking coffee and just looking at the standings. <laughs> just staring. And that's all I'm doing. Just He's fixated. He just can't he can't take his eyes off. It it's like he has run across the love of his life and it's the Minnesota Timberwolves. Uh, well, the, the, yeah, I mean, all due respect to uh, Kyle's loving wife, I do think the Timberwolves are the probably the longest-running love. I'm sure she's life. great. And mine. I mean, I've, I've known and loved the Wolves longer than my wife, too. And you know, there's room for multiple loves when you are in love with the sports team. I'm happy for you guys. Wolves fans deserve – I keep saying that. You guys have been through hell and back. You, you deserve a season where things just go right and the team is good. Yeah, I think – and I think – I guess here's my, I guess I have like a, a small handful of Wolves takes for you today. So we'll start with this one here because we're already kind of talking about that. This is the most exciting start to a Wolves season in 20 years. They've had some fun little things. They had the Jimmy Butler season. Oh, this looks different. Right. And then uh, last year was exciting to start the year just because, oh, we've got Rudy Gobert. This is going to be different. But then they kind of train wrecked out of the gate and. They were like four and two, and then they lost a bunch of games, and they were playing catch up to five hundred all year long. But sitting alone in first place, several games over five hundred, uh, a four and one road trip, and a 15, 16 point comeback in the fourth quarter. Like there, there's probably two or three games. I mean, there's two games on that road trip for sure. The last year's team just checks out and loses. The second game against Golden State, against Golden State's backups, when Draymond Green and Clay got ejected. They lose that game, I think, by double digits, and it's embarrassing. And then the game against the Pelicans, you know, that was another one, too, where the Pelicans are coming off a win the previous night over Denver. It was a back-to-back for the Pelicans and no Zion. 
So they were yeah. kind of like, I think they were fat and happy and ready to get beat, and the Wolves come out sluggish again. But last year's team probably doesn't dig out from that hole and salvage the victory. So if I, we should almost say it's like Mario Kart where you run a time trial and you can see the ghost of like the best time. We should be seeing like the ghost of last year's team. Like, would you have won that game? Nope. Would you have won that game? So they're like two and zero, maybe three and zero in games last year's team for sure would have lost. Absolutely, yeah. And uh, and in the Butler year, th- they lose the Pelicans game because my guess is Butler doesn't play in that game. He for sure does not play in the second game against Golden State, right? And, and so that's the thing is, you know, don't take for granted that the Wolves basically have a roster full of guys who want to play yeah. like the fact that ant wants to play. And I know like, like we obsess about ants games, right? Well, he didn't have a great night tonight. He didn't, but the fact that he shows up every night to play is, is something that in this league in 2023, you can't just take for granted. I actually think it's an incredibly important thing that the people that lead this team. And it sounds so simple, set the example of showing up to play. Yeah, he, you know, and, and he'll still like go through stretches where he's just not clicking offensively and whatever he's, and he's only 22. He's, think about how good he is now. Yeah. How much better he's going to be when he's 25, when he's 26. Yep. But he just starts knocking down those threes and Cat gets going. And it's tough to stop that freight train when, when Ant's knocking down the outside shot and then it leads to him being able to get to the rim. And then when Cat is dialed in, like, it's really hard to beat this team. And that brings me to my second take, which I think is going to launch the, the bigger discussion on this show. And it starts with Cat. I think Carl Anthony Towns has finally found the perfect situation for him. And I, it almost felt like he was fighting it a little. Like last year was weird because he was trying to transition. They were asking him to sacrifice, and they still are this year. And then he gets hurt, and he comes back, and it's emotional. And then it was just it was a weird year for him. Uh, not making excuses because he needed to do some things better on his end. But then he comes in here and it's like, dude, you're still fighting it in the first maybe five games, it felt like. Yep. Culminating with that that uh, Celtics game where he winds up with uh, 13 turnovers and fouls in that Celtics game and only like seven points. He fouled out and he was, if it weren't for him just playing like an idiot the whole night and being emotional, they probably would have won that game by 15 points or something. But the elephant in the room has always been trying to slide Carl out of the number one spot in the organization, but keep him in the organization, right? Like how do you pull off that dance of, Hey man, you were the number one overall pick. You are the OG of this franchise right now. You've been a 25 and 12 and you know, just like Kevin love was your stuff in the box score, but the franchise isn't winning because we don't think, you're the actual guy to be the leader of a franchise that goes deep in the playoffs. So how do we kind of massage this so that you don't knock him off the team for 25 cents on the dollar? Cause if, if you can keep him engaged and keep him on the team and find a role for him, you're not going to like one for one. You're not going to trade him for an equal player probably at this point. So how, how would he handle this transition? And you can't put the toothpaste back in the tube. And so since that debacle against Boston, He's played six games, 27 points a game, 60% from the field. Some of this isn't fully sustainable. Almost 50% from three. And most importantly, a calm, focused demeanor in these six games. It's one of the longest stretches of like mature demeanor, I think, that we've seen from Carl Anthony Towns. 
And so if this is if this is the case, if they have successfully said, okay, we're gonna let me, let's just take you over here. Rudy's gonna come in, play the five, and be the backbone of this defense. Ant is gonna rise up as the face, the personality, and the main scoring punch for the offense. And a combination of Conley and Kyle Anderson and some other guys are gonna be the main leaders, the veteran leaders. You just have to find your role within all of that mm-hmm. and be Carl Anthony Towns. In the last six games, he's been exactly that. It is a great situation for him if it can keep going like this. And that's where I, I mean, I know I was, uh, I was hyperbolic with you uh, last week when I said if he plays like this, him and Ant are, you know, the best one-two punch in the NBA, not one of, but the best one-two punch. But if he has figured out his role, I mean, this is only good news for the Wolves. Like, number one, they're winning games. They're near the top of the West. You're talking about legitimately the Wolves having home court advantage uh, throughout a playoff run, which is crazy to think about uh, after watching this team for the last 20 years. And then if you have to explore this trade option in the summer, because I'm not entertaining trading him at the deadline, why the hell would anyone trade him? Why would the Wolves trade him at the deadline if you're playing the best basketball in the West? It's only going to up his value, because I even think that there was people kind of negative on him and they were sour on him and they kind of maybe quietly shopped him this offseason. This is a win-win-win. Everyone wins here. For the Wolves, long term, short term, the team does like this is only good things with Carl Anthony Towns kind of finally figuring out where he fits in the puzzle piece. And the thing, too, is this. So I, I feel like and yes, the Wolves asked him to play a different role. I totally get that. It started last season and has certainly continued on. But I, I felt like the tone after the Boston game and it was not the first time has been, well, we're asking him to do something real tough. We're, we're asking him to do something that he's never had to he is a special player. Like he was the first overall pick and he's certainly not a bust. He is a special player with a unique skill set. Okay. So I feel like this narrative of, well, he's being at Rudy's here now and he's being, I mean, we're asking a lot there. Actually, you're not, you're asking him to use special gifts and talents. Like, Phil, we've talked about this going back years. Now his ability at his size to shoot threes is remarkable. So it's not like you're taking Gobert and like, hey, Rudy, come here. We're going to put you out on the perimeter, and we're going to have you just like. No, I, I saw him do it. I did see him do it. We need but the to point talk is, about that, actually. Yeah. But that's not his role. Um, and so I feel like this whole cat thing was was like almost an excuse when we have talked about what a unique individual he is. And if he is now bought into that, if he has now embraced this, which, by the way, I think this puts him in a perfect role for cat on the court off the court like he's never his ability to lead the team always seemed forced like i'll be the guy to go up there and talk for us and i'll do this and i'll say ant goes to popeyes too much and it's like really so like i think that this is perfect i think this is perfect and i don't think it's a big ask i think that this is an ask of taking a incredibly talented human being and utilizing that and as long as he embraces that i think it's perfect and i don't know you know again we're taking like a a six game sample and a road trip and trying to this needs to play out i guess is what i'm saying because he did this needs to continue on the path that it's on but it is one of the hardest things to do as a franchise is like when you decide all right this player who we've put on a pedestal and he's been the leader of this thing like when you bring other players in and that guy gets knocked down a peg with Kevin Love, you t- you had to trade him, right? When it became evident that hey, you're just man, you're they literally and David Kahn was the GM at the time, and and this was a bad decision, but 
they, you could only give out one five-year max contract at that time in the NBA. Right. So if you had a five-year max, you could you could right. pick it on one player, and then you'd use a four-year max on somebody else. And they decided to, to they were going to save it for Ricky Rubio. And I'm not even sure they ever used it on Rubio, but they they were saving it for Rubio. So they offered Love a four-year max, and he got really offended. But that was the organization's way of essentially saying, in an untactful way, we don't think you're the guy to lead this franchise. If we did think that, there would be no doubt we would give you a five-year max. And just feelings were involved, and egos were involved, and it winds up they had to trade. And it was great. Like, Kevin Love wound up in a much better situation, but... He winds up in a situation in in um, Cleveland, right? Yeah, where yeah. he is the third guy on that team behind right. LeBron and Kyrie. When you get traded into that situation, there's less ego involved. Oh, I'm being this is a new situation. I'm going into someone else's house. Yep. There's already some norms established, right? Chris Bosh. Oh, I'm going to Miami now. I was the man in in Toronto. I'm going to Miami now. It's it's an easy. It's going to be a hard transition. LeBron wants me to, right? Like yep. that's a. Oh my God. But when someone when when you're in your own house and, you know, like the the building company is like, hey, we're we're going to um, we're going to actually give you two new roommates here that are going to they're going to be the ones that kind of run your house. We still want you to live here. You know, a lot of guys just get offended and say, "Nah, I'm good. I want out of here. Sounds like my house. If this can happen. <laughs> what's that? Sounds like my house. I, I about to say you're, you're describing me in my own house. I, I got Kelsey and Vinny are just they, they run things. I'm just the passenger. I'm the town. I'm trying to fit into this puzzle piece. Where do I fit? OK, you're the one that signed them to contract. <laughs> yeah. That's the difference. Yeah. Oh, well, smart man. <laughs> Carl, Carl is sitting here and he's looking around the house. It's like, oh, Anthony Edwards is here. Gobert is here. You could easily look around, pout and say, well, screw this. I want to go be the man somewhere. I want to be the one. But what's funny about it is by sort of accepting his role in this pecking order. Look at the freaking numbers, man. Like right. he's putting up the 27 and he's, he's getting, getting wide open threes and stuff. So, but the attention, how often do you come out of a game now and think, Oh, it's on Carl. Like that game was lost because there's a couple here and there. Like don't shipwreck the Celtics game, but there's less pressure. There's less focus. There's less spotlight. It's a great spot for him. And any other place he would go, he would be expected to lead that franchise almost certainly with his current contract situation. And I think the most important thing, Phil, that you said about um, his play on the road trip is not necessarily the stats. It's the demeanor. Like, and it sounds silly, but it's not like if he keeps his head, if he keeps his cool, if, if he just sort of lunch pails it to a certain degree, puts his head down and goes mm-hmm. out and plays, he's a hell of a player. Yep. We've never questioned that. It's the demeanor. Yep. And so bravo to Carl Anthony Towns for, for showing some great flashes. couple more takes for you, but let's talk about Finch Home Solutions. No relation. Unless you go back far enough in history, there might be a relation between Chris and Cody. Not sure. But, uh, there it is. Yeah. Thank fan. you very much. Yeah. There it is. Now I can start the read, but the read does not start until we hear the meep meeps because that means the Finch Home Solutions is right around the corner from you. And guess what? Any electrical issues that you might have in your home, big or small, Cody Finch and his team are going to fix them fast, courteous, efficient, everything that you could possibly want. And look, I mean, around your house, there's a lot of DIY projects, right? I think a lot of p- people take pride in DIYing it, but the one thing that is not electrical issues, those should be saved for the pros to protect your house, and most importantly, you and your family, and that is exactly why Finch Home Solutions is there. Give them a call, 
404-612-357-2604 or uh, go to finchhomesolutions.com, finchhomesolutions.com, set up an appointment that way. Again, big or small electrical issues in your home, uh, don't leave them to someone you don't trust. Finch Home Solutions, you can trust them. Cody and his team do great work. Yes, indeed. Uh, also, Thank a shout-out to our friends at Summit Orthopedics. If you're on the injured list this week, you've got some back issues, you've got some wrist issues, knees, whatever it may be. Summit Orthopedics can help you out. No referrals are needed, and they offer same-day appointments. If you're really hurting, they also offer walk-in orthopedic urgent care seven days a week from 8 a.m. to 8 p.m., 25 locations in the Twin Cities and greater Minnesota, and you can learn more at summitortho.com. That's summitortho.com. All right, uh, take number three here. we got four Wolves takes for you today, just an abbreviated version of this. And Kyle and I will be back tomorrow. So um, I kind of love what Chris Finch is trying to do with Rudy Gobert on offense. I'm trying to think of who. I think it was the uh, – did Declan, did you find this? A, like a month back, J.J. Redick and Tim Legler were doing a podcast together. And they spent like 10 minutes talking about the Wolves and sort of – the rise of the Timberwolves, but also, and they both really like Chris Finch, but they were talking about J.J. Redick was irritated that oftentimes Rudy Gobert will just be sitting in the dunker spot, which is like just kind of down by the baseline, kind of, you know, by the basket in that little alley-oop dunker spot and and how it clogs the lane. Anthony Edwards has a harder time getting into the lane and operating, right? Carl Anthony Towns, a huge part of his game, before Rudy Gobert arrived last year, was dribble drive top of the key, get into the lane, and make something happen. It's harder when you have another big that's bringing another body in that close. And so J.J. Redick was saying, I would get him out of that dunker spot. I would just have Rudy Gobert be setting screens, like off-ball screens, just literally like go look for work anywhere else and free some other things up. Now, in that conversation, I don't recall Reddick and Legler talking about what Chris Finch did against the Pelicans and what he's been doing a little more often, which is put Rudy in the corner on offense. Just see what happens. You know, and so the other night, Rudy's standing in the corner and the ball swings around to him. Yeah. And by the way, it's like it's wide open, right? This is great. You got you got wide open, you know, the paint for the most part. And, and the defender, so Rudy catches the pass in the corner and the defender just sags like, way off just kind of goes down by the low block and Rudy fires up a really good looking shot from the corner and it rattled out dude he knocked down a three in the FIBA games a couple months ago in the Mm -hmm. offseason I don't think he's going to become like a sniper corner three-point shooter but if he can knock down like one or two of those but even if he doesn't just kind of moving him into the corner and making the defense have to figure out okay do we just like you can't. You you have to have a touch point with him because you can't play a full zone defense. You're going to get called for three seconds. So at the very least, like a defender has to go and tag up. You know, at least go in the vicinity and come back. But it's it's Chris Finch kind of saying, you know what? We shouldn't just be clogging the lane the whole time. Let's let's try some different things and mess with the defense by putting Rudy in the corner and see what happens. And then, dude, if he starts knocking some of those <laughs> down, oh my god, this team's going to be ridiculous. Ant's got to love that, right? It's helpful for Ant and Cat. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I, now that defender is still going to be very, you know, you're not going to be like hugging Rudy in the corner. That defender is going to play as far off as he can without getting called sure. for a defensive three seconds. And he's going to be ready. So it's not, it's not like putting, you know, Fred Hoiberg 2003 version in the corner where a defender has to be offense, face guarding yeah. him the whole time. But I just think it's 
Chris Finch finding creative ways to open things up in the paint for Cat and Anthony Edwards is an interesting chess game that's happening right now. And it's not the same, but like when when Brooke Lopez, like right, was kind of a similar type, more of an offense. He had more offense than Gobert's game, but he didn't attempt a single three pointer for the first seven years of his career. Not a single one. And then all of a sudden becomes like this kind of low key, deadly three point shooter with the Bucks. It's if if you can figure out different ways for him where he's not completely one dimensional and also like the hands thing with Rudy, I'm trying to get over it, but I just can't. I don't understand how the man has such massive hands and he still just like can't hold on to the ball. So if that's the case, let him him (laughs) take some jumpers on on a wide open look in in the corner. Okay, go ahead and do it. Dude, they're mallets, man. They are mallets. They're, they're like, mallets. Like, like they're not oars. hands. They're, <laughs> they're not hands. It's like, <laughs> ah! Boat oars. Dude, I just looked up Brooke Lopez. So, obviously, Brooke, Brooke Lopez has been a 20 points per game guy in his yeah. career or whatever. But but uh, to Dex's point, the first seven years of his career, he basically, like, did not shoot any threes. And then he started adding it in the last year in Brooklyn, 2016-17. This would have been, like, eight years ago now. So he went from not taking threes for seven years to now with Milwaukee at age 35. 55% of his shot attempts are from three, Brooke Lopez. Yeah. He went from, uh, there was one point in his career where 75% of his shot attempts were from like the paint or the rim. And now it's kind of flip-flopping the other way around. Can can Rudy Gobert become a sniper three-point shooter? No, I don't think so. But dude, it's it's a very interesting development. Here's a question off that. How much do you think having a professional maestro point guard helps as well? Because my guess is Conley's got ideas. Like, I think Mike Conley has ideas. Like, like he's a a pseudo coach, right? I wonder, and I mean, he he knows Gobert um, because of their time together with the Jazz better than anyone on the Wolves roster or coaching staff. I wonder how much of this has to do with Conley. And then... Conversely, D'Lo being the pain in the ass that D'Lo was, I don't think was probably open to experimentation, despite the fact he complained about the status quo. So I wonder how much of a role behind the scenes Conley plays in suggestions. And then, and then most importantly, with the ball in his hands, actually running things that he suggested. Big time role. He is uh, the extension of Chris Finch. You know, Chris Finch never talked as much about D'Lo being the extension of me as he does about Conley being the extension of me. And Conley is a guy that's looking to, he's looking to coach. He's looking to lead. He's, you know, he really is an assistant coach on the floor and he's looking to facilitate and get everyone else involved. D'Lo was such a me first player and remains a me first player. Like he'll get some assists here and there, but he literally goes out there and thinks, how can I get my, my shot going tonight? Yes. And you know, the bad news for him is he's not a great offensive player. He's an inefficient scorer. He's fairly talented. He can get hot and shoot some threes and stuff. But, you know, Mike Conley is just as good, if not better, of a three-point shooter as D'Angelo Russell. But Mike Conley has basketball self-awareness, too, and knows that I don't need to unleash a bunch of these and just start to go rogue and take over the offense. I'll get everyone else going, and then if it swings back to me in the corner at the end of a game against Golden State, I'll be ready to bury the three like a professional. So... Which leads me to my last take, kind of off that point. Um, no pun intended here. The Shake Milton thing has not worked so oh. far. I was going to ask about that. I think it will work, but at this point, he's just kind of lost and doesn't really 
you know, it's and it's been like what ten or twelve games or something. So it's it's going to take some time to figure out just how to play within this this whole deal. But that game against the Pelicans, so the Wolves win that game by one point. The Wolves had a sixteen point edge in the minutes that Shake Milton did not play, and they were a minus sixteen in the minutes that he did play. So when he was out there, they couldn't stop anything. They couldn't score as well. Uh, on the season, too, this is an interesting dynamic. One of the, the biggest things about his game, especially last year in Philadelphia, was getting to the rim. So 30% of his shot attempts last year with the Sixers were at the rim, and he was converting those at a 70% clip, too. So he was just great. At just He was a playmaker, but he was also a guy that could get to the rim and convert. This year, it's half that. He's just not finding ways to get to the rim. And some of it might be like, ah, oh, you're playing with a bunch of big guys, and you're trying to figure out, how to weave through the trees, but he hasn't found his shake Milton game yet. And he hasn't had the playmaking impact that he had for stretches with Philadelphia the last couple of years. So we'll see. Do you think it's comfort or just flat out struggles? Uh, well, part of it, he's not knocking down threes. So he's a, he's a good three point shooter in his career, like yeah. an, an above average three point shooter. And this year he's shooting 26% from three, uh, you know, getting to the rim. He's got to find a way to get to the rim more often. And he's just not. And then it just feels like he's committing just some like bad passes. And so it's just, it hasn't worked yet, but they need it to at some point because the second unit and the depth and all the things we talked about isn't predicated on like Jordan McLaughlin getting 25 minutes a night. It's you need a guy like shake Milton to, to make some plays. So sure. So so we'll see. We'll see if shake can, uh, get it together. But those are my just four wolves takes for you as we sit here and survey the number one team by percentage points in the Western Conference, alone in first place. The latest it, in the season enjoy since it. 2003, 2004. Oh, that's incredible. And then what do we got coming up here, too? You got, there's some fun games on the horizon here. You got the, um, this is a, actually a great week, because you got the Knicks tonight, and then you've got the Sixers on Wednesday night, I believe. Let yeah, me pull this yep, up. at home. Yep, and then you get the play, uh, the in-season playoff game at home against the Kings on Friday night. So you've got two huge and the games debut against of the good court? Eastern and What the will the court the- look like? Yeah. We'll have to find out on Friday. Oh, the intrigue grows. So thank you guys for hanging out. Kyle's back tomorrow for a Tuesday episode of Flagrant Hollis. Your be favorite. staring at the standings. <laughs> Kyle's still drinking that like, coffee. Kyle, Kyle, pay attention. <laughs> Just ogling. Uh, This is your favorite Timberwolves lifestyle podcast, Flagrant Howls. See you guys.